Praise God for that. So Matthew chapter 10, we are going to be picking up the pace now as we continue through the book of Matthew. We're going to be moving along at a faster speed, uh, and so we're going to be having readings during the week for the, t- the passages that we're not going to be tackling on Sunday mornings. Um, but we're in Matthew 10. Um, does anybody feel tired, either spiritually, physically, emotionally, or, or, or uh, okay, my hands are going up. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Next week, we're going to be talking about Jesus as our, as our rest and, and, and how this, the rest he offers should impact every uh, area of our soul and our spirit. Um, if you have a friend who doesn't know Jesus, if you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus, if you know somebody who's wandered away from Jesus, if you know somebody who knows Jesus but is still living an angst-ridden, hurried and harried life, always rushing around, in their soul they're not at peace, um, then the following two weeks, the next week and the week after, uh, would be a good way to invite them. Today, however, today, however, is, um, uh, is, is, is for primarily for those who claim to follow Jesus. Uh, it, we're going to be finishing something that we started last week. Where Jesus is giving instructions to his 12 apostles. He's, he's, he's sending them out. He's beginning to hand off the baton to his followers to go and to say and do what Jesus has been saying and doing. It's the beginning of this transition. It's the first assignment he's giving them on their own. They're going without him. And we're going to be looking at this long passage. In fact, the longest passage that we've ever done here at True Life. We're going to be reading it in, in a moment. And, and before we do, um, I, I, I want to just kind of uh, encourage you to try to put yourself in the shoes of these 12 apostles who were hearing this. This is like a speech. This past week, I listened to Dwight D. Eisenhower's, General Eisenhower's speech uh, to the troops before, the night before D-Day, the night before they invaded the, the beaches of Normandy. And, and, you know, many of them, they knew they were going to die. They knew where they were going into battle. They knew where they were going to die. And Eisenhower was trying to uh, inspire them, let them know that victory is, is, is possible. Victory is, we can, we, can take, we can take Europe, we can take this foothold, we can go in and, and free Europe from, from Nazi Germany. And, and um, I, I was just reminded of that speech because of, uh, Jesus' speech here. He's, he's giving this speech, and in this speech, you're going to hear this. You're going you're gonna to hear instructions, you're going to hear promises, and you're going to hear warnings. Like, Jesus does not sugarcoat at all what they're headed for. And I want you to put yourself in their shoes, these 12 guys, the ordinary guys. Put yourself in their shoes, just like the troops before D-Day. Some of them, they're like, whoa, is this, is that going to happen to me? This is some of it is scary stuff. And so the title of today... It's called the need for courage. Because you and I, I mean, Becky Livingston, the, the, the group that she talked, I mean, it kind of sounds like it echoes a little bit, right? We, we need courage to live for Christ in, in this day and age, in this world. And, 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 and I want you to, we're not gonna, I'm not going to teach on every verse in this passage. Um, but I do want, so I, te- I was tempted just to show you the stuff that I am going to teach on. But I do feel like we need to see the whole thing, the whole passage, and just kind of get it down our throats. Because it's going to be overwhelming. I'm not going to ask you to follow along. For, for the moment, you can put your Bibles down. I'm just going to ask you to stand. You can do it. It's going to be long, but you can do it. If you get a cramp, stretch out in the middle. Scott King, who's one of our elders, board members, he's going to come and do the reading for us. And again, just take it in. Pretend like, put yourself in the shoes of those 12 apostles who are here in this. Thank you, Scott. These 12, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. 
as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for those worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen, you, listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brothers will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of the, his household? So do not be afraid of them, for is no, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? You are, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Lord, speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Like I said, that was a lot. That was a lot. A lot going on. I wanted us to feel it. Pretend like those 12 guys hearing this, wondering, is it me? Am I going to be one of the ones getting killed? Am I going to be one of the ones whose family turns on them? So Jesus is sending these 12 out. He tells them to go to Israel first, go to the towns of Israel, preach there. Israel had to hear the gospel first. They had to hear the good news of the kingdom first before it went out to the Gentile nations. That was the plan. Israel was the firstborn, so to speak. Israel was the light to the Gentiles. So it had to start in Israel. They were to start there. He tells them what to carry. He says, my power and authority are going to go with you. Heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. Demonstrations that the kingdom is here that the curse is being pushed back by the kingdom of heaven through Jesus. But you're going to suffer. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be flogged. You're going to be persecuted. You're, you're going to be persecuted from the uh, Roman uh, uh, councils, the, the secular councils, the, 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 the secular, uh, for our paradigm, the secular left and the religious right are all going to be coming at you. Both sides, the synagogues, the councils. You're going to be brought before kings. You're going to be brought before governors. You're going to have a chance to testify on my behalf because you're being brought, because you're being persecuted and arrested. I'm going to give you words to speak. Some of you are going to die. Some of you are going to have your family members turn on you. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The one who clings to his life will lose it. But the one who gives up his life for my sake will, will find it. That's what's going on here. Now, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? How does it uh, talk to us about courage? So uh, there's five things that I see in this passage uh, about the need for courage for you and I, and then two things about how we should be encouraged or be filled with courage because of what Jesus promises here. So I'm going to go through these. And um, if you want to take notes, you can take notes. Or at the end, you can just say, okay, what what really stood out to me, Lord? One, One or two things might pop. So let's go. Uh, Number one, we need courage to open our mouths about Jesus. He said in verse 26, don't be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, what I speak to you, what, what I pour into you, don't be like a lake where the water just stops, be like a river. It should flow through you out to others. It should flow through you to the world. Don't just come to church, have God speak to you, or go to your life group with your Christian friends and have God speak to you and take your notes in your notebook and then go to work and keep your mouth shut. Or go to school and and keep your mouth shut. No, it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be proclaimed. It should flow into you and then uh, through you out to others. And in case anyone tries to argue that this was just for the 12 apostles and that we can have a private faith, we can keep our mouths shut, and that's all, that's all good, he said later on in this, in this text, verse 32, he said, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. That is sobering. Hmm? Whoever, whoever is 
apostles, whoever. It goes beyond those 12 apostles, whoever. It's for all of us. If you love Jesus, he's saying, if you've been born again by his spirit, if you've been regenerated by his spirit, not just have this head knowledge about him, but you've been born again, you're going to have a new taste for Jesus. You're going to have a love for Jesus. And that love for Jesus is going to lead to you talking about him, acknowledging him, even under pressure, even when you're put on the spot, even when there's a threat to your job, to your uh, uh, social status, to your very life. You're going to share. I remember the first time I denied my faith. I was a little kid, middle school, and a girl that I had a crush on asked me. She said, I can't marry anybody who doesn't share my faith and told me what it was, and I was like, yeah, I, I'm with you. And right away I felt like, ah, this conviction. I think I just denied Jesus, but I really like this girl. As a girl, right, Jesus knows we're going to need courage to open our mouths because if, if I do that with a, with a girl who I had a crush on, how much more when you're tempted because you might lose your job, as many of the early Christians were being threatened with. You'll be kicked out of trade guilds if your faith is in Jesus. This is happening around the world. Social pressures, families, institutions, pressures coming down. People are being killed. And Jesus says, you have to love me enough to acknowledge me. Now, he's not saying that we earn salvation by acknowledging him or talking about him. What he's saying is that if our life is characterized by a pattern of never opening our mouth, we're going to have failures. We're going to have moments where we, ah, I should have opened my mouth. I didn't. We're going to have those moments. He's gracious. But if, 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 there's, if our life is characterized by this consistent pattern of never opening our mouth and thinking, I'm just going to keep my faith private, it is very possible, likely even, that we haven't been born again, therefore don't belong to Jesus, and therefore on that future day he'll say, never knew him. He didn't trust in me. He didn't cling to me. He didn't belong to our family. He wasn't adopted. He didn't, he didn't trust in the cross. Had some head knowledge, had some Sunday school answers, but wasn't fully surrendered to me. But if we do, if we are, if he's in us, then we're going to open our mouth. There's going to be times when we're open, even when there's pressure. So we will open our mouth. It takes courage. It takes courage. So we need courage to open our mouths. That's number one. Number two thing I see in here is that some of us need courage for frontier missions. Some of us, not all of us. All of us are called to go open our mouths. Some of us are called to go to places where the gospel has not yet penetrated. When Jesus said in verse 5, don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of Israel, that's because the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of Jesus, had not yet penetrated Israel yet. It had to, the, the, uh, the towns of Israel had to hear first. And then it's going to go out to the nations. At the end of the book of Matthew, we're going to see Jesus say, um, um, go make disciples of all nations. Now that word go could be translated as you're going. So as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go get coffee at Starbucks or Divitri or Dunkin' Donuts, make disciples, look to point people to Jesus and teach them everything that he's commanded. But in order to get to every nation or ethnos, it's, a, it's people group, it's not geographic nation state, it's, it's people group. For the gospel to get there, somebody's got to be willing to go to frontier missions. Somebody's got to be willing to go where the gospel has not yet penetrated. And, and some missiologists or, or sociologists who study the mission of the church, um, many of them would say that 2% is the number. 
once, once, once 2% of the population of a people group know Jesus, they can evangelize themselves. But lower than 2%, you need outside assistance. The, the Joshua Project is, is, uh, keeps track of the people groups in the world who don't know Jesus. It, this is their definition of unreached or least reached people. It's a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without outside assistance. According to their, according to their site, they, they do f- great research. According to them, 7,415 people groups in the world are considered unreached. They need outside assistance. Gospel hasn't penetrated. They need somebody to go. There's 522 total people groups in the U.S. 98 of them are unreached. Ain't that amazing in the U.S.? So you might be saying, well, give me an example. So um, Armenians are not a people group. Armenians who live in Armenia are a people group. Armenians who live in the U.S. are another people group, right? Make sense? Armenians who live in Egypt are another people group. So that's how it's to, because if you bring the gospel to Armenians in Armenia, that doesn't mean that the Armenians in Egypt are hearing about it. Make sense? That's why they separate it like that. So somebody's got to go. That's the point. All of us need to open our mouths as we go uh, through our lives, but some of us have to be willing to lay down our lives, pack up our bags, sell our houses, take our kids out of school, and say, I, I gotta, we're going to go. And I think all of us should be willing to ask, Lord, is it us? Is it my family? Are we called to go? Are we called to go? We called to go, to cross these borders, to cross these barriers, to cross these cultural boundaries, to bring this good news of the kingdom through Jesus. So some of us need courage for frontier missions. It might be some of you who have been traveling lately to Albania or somewhere else. You might be called to go. Maybe some of you have been thinking about a specific country, a specific place. It might be you. That's number two. Number three. We need courage because religious freedom is not a promise, nor is it God's priority. Woo. Yikes. I know, I know. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. What do you say? Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. That doesn't sound like religious freedom. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. So again, local, local councils has to do with the secular, you know, secular sphere. Synagogues has to do with the religious institution, Ju- Judaism. They're going to they're gonna get attacked from both. You'll be brought before governors and kings as a witness to them because you're going to be arrested. You're going to be flogged. You're going to be dragged. It's not religious freedom. And he's telling them to expect that. Expect a lack of religious freedom. Now those times of persecution... Many of us haven't dealt with that yet. Could be coming. Could be coming. The, the time that America has enjoyed a degree of religious freedom is an outlier. When you look at history, it's an outlier. When you look at what God is saying to expect. And so if it gets worse, the solution is not to vote so-and-so into office or pass such-and-such laws. The solution is courage. To share the gospel despite what you might suffer. That's the solution. Not to expect religious freedom. There are people around the world proclaiming the message of Jesus. 
and they're being flogged and they're being crushed from either secular society who's against all religion or cultures where if you don't share this faith, like, like in many Muslim countries, if you don't share our faith, then there's trouble coming your way. We know this, but we tend to forget about it and just focus on what's going on here in America and, oh no, is my religious freedom going to be threatened? Here's the truth. Freedom offered in the gospel does not require religious freedom under the law. It just needs courage to share it, courage to spread it. Sometimes in places where religious freedom is lacking the most, the gospel has spread the most. Many of you have heard the saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There's something about persecution that has caused the gospel to spread. The priority on God is the spread of the gospel, the good news, freedom in the gospel. The priority isn't religious freedom under the law. That's what I see in this passage. So we need courage. We need courage. Lest we freak out and go, oh no, oh no. Let me hide. Let me flee to a country where being a Christian is more convenient. Let me get my kids to a state where being a Christian is more convenient. It's not the solution. The solution is courage. Number four, we need courage because people liking us is not a promise or God's priority. How many people have somebody that doesn't like you right now? (laughs) Yeah, I can see why some of you guys... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, Yeah, look what she said. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is family. Familiar bonds. Blood relatives. You're going to suffer at the hands of people you grew up with. In your house, you shared bunk beds with. They're going to turn on you because of Jesus. If we've not experienced this, we're outliers. When you look at world history, praise God for that. But it's not to be expected. If you love Jesus, it's possible your family will turn on you. Some of you experience some degree of criticism, some degree of ostracism. That's how you say it, the noun form of that word ostracizing from your family, kicking you out in some way, keeping you out from from gatherings with the family. But in places in the world, family is literally murdering family members because they're turning, they're converting to Jesus and they're turning on them, stoning them and whatnot. Family, blood. Now here's what he's not saying. Let me clarify a couple things. Number one, if you have a family member who is also a believer in Jesus and the Spirit of God lives inside of them like he lives inside of you, unity should triumph over any other trivial difference. He's not saying to expect this division with other Christians in your family and and, and just chalk it up to, well, Jesus said there's going to be division, so it's okay that we don't get along. That's not what he's saying. Jesus said his prayer is that we would be one as he and the Father are one, our love for one Another will prove to the world that we're his disciples. That, that, that's what he says for Christians. But when I love Jesus and a family member doesn't, there might be some opposition. There might be some clashing. There might be some persecution at their hands. Secondly, what he's not saying is that it's okay that people in your family despise you because you're being a jerk. Right? 
because you won't shut up about some political issue or whatnot. And you, you, that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's because of your love for Jesus. That's what you should expect. That's what's coming the way down the way for for Christians. And what this does is is, is remind me that um, or show me that there's this idea that we have to build trust with somebody in order before we open our mouths about Jesus. And sometimes that's wise, right? That's a wise strategy at times. But clearly, there's going to be people that we don't build enough trust with where they don't want to kill us, and yet we're still called to open our mouths. Thanks, Frank. It takes courage. It takes courage. Need for courage. Number five, we need courage because our physical safety is not a promise or God's priority. I know we've alluded to this already multiple times, but just to make it crystal clear, verse 28, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. There are going to be people who kill you. That's what he's saying to these 12 apostles. That's what he's saying to the church down the ages. Don't be afraid of those who can kill you, but they will try to kill you. Don't fear. Don't shrink back. Have a big reverent awe of God, the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's you saying, have a bigger view of me than of any human being. All they can do is kill you. Big deal. That's what he's saying. And that's, oh man, that's, that's hard for us to fathom. Because we live in such safety. All they can do is kill you, he's saying. All they can do is kill you. And he said this in verse 34. Don't suppose that I've come bring to, to, to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn a, man's, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. A sword, a lack of peace. Safety is not God's promise or priority. Now, to be clear, this is not an excuse to be reckless with our health, reckless with our safety, to make decisions that are reckless. To not, you know, don't, don't leave here, kids, and not wear your seatbelt and say, Pastor Chris said safety's not a priority. Right? That's not what I'm saying. I get misquoted all the time. My word's taken out of context. I get in trouble. Um, that's not what he's saying. But it is a reason to evaluate our lives and ask ourselves, has my pursuit of safety... My elevation of safety too high, has that stopped me from being obedient to Jesus? Opening my mouth about Jesus or obeying specific commands that he gives me? Has my pursuit of safety been elevated too high? Have I made an idol out of it? It is a reason to ask that question. Because if he sends us places that are dangerous... And our friends try to talk us out of it. Oh, it's dangerous over there. Right? We should look back and go, well, that's not promised. And that shouldn't stop us. And then there's multiple other ways that we let safety and our pursuit of safety keep us from being obedient to the call of Jesus on our lives. I think about what do we want for our kids? I want my kids to be safe. I want them to live a good long life. But what's more important? That they live a safe American dream life? Or that they risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. 
and possibly have their lives end early. What would I want in my flesh? I want the first one. But what would I want a thousand years from now in eternity? I want the second one. I know I want the second one. It takes courage. Number six. Okay, so that, those, are, let me back up. those are five reasons why we need courage. Religious freedom is not God's priority or promise. Safety is not. People liking us is not. We need to open our mouths. Some of us need to go to frontier missions, okay? But now two reasons why we should have courage or receive courage or take courage from, from Jesus' words, this passage. Number six, we can take courage because he gives you power. He gives us power. He said at the very beginning, verse 7, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. He's giving them authority to do something, to do these miracles. These things don't come naturally to people. Like, he didn't pick people who had a natural gift for casting out demons. He wasn't like, you know, that guy Simon, I think he's got a natural knack for casting out demons. He's just got this natural ability to cure people of leprosy. That's not what he's saying. There's going to be things that follow the proclamation of your message that are way beyond your natural abilities. But they're going to be signs that both confirm the message of the kingdom and also demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like. The curse of this world has absorbed people in it. They're suffering. And you're going to go and you're going to bring tastes and hints of the kingdom of heaven that's breaking in now. These miracles were meant to be movie trailers of what the kingdom of God that will be ushered in one day in full is like. I remember the first time I saw the trailer for Back to the Future Part 2. My favorite movie at that point was Back to the Future Part 1, and I couldn't wait for Part 2 to come out. Part 1 came out in 85, and 88 rolls around. I'm like, where's this movie? 89 rolls around. I'm like, where's this movie? And I remember the first time I saw the trailer for Part 2, I was at my grandma's house in Long Beach Island, and it came on the TV, and I went and I watched it, and I was like, it's here, it's here, it's finally here. Now, it was still a few months away, but that trailer gave me a taste for it and an anticipation for it, and that's what the miracles that Jesus gives them authority to do are meant to do. They're meant to give a taste of, wow, the kingdom of God is being ushered in through Jesus. When he returns, it's going to be ushered in full. But now these miracles are tastes and hints that will open people's eyes to see, wow, that message is true. That's what that kingdom is like. We're going to have complete freedom from the curse of this world. Now, not every dead person was being raised and yanked out of coffins, but it did happen in the early church. We see examples in the book of Acts. It went beyond these 12 apostles. It went to the thousands of people in the early church. And, and, and we see in church history um, uh, testimonies of different miracles, even including the raising of people from the dead. Now, you might say that sounds crazy, and you can doubt that and whatnot, but I'm just going to look at God's word and think, you know what? If God is still raising, if we as Christians still believe that he raises people spiritually from the dead, that he takes a hard heart that is closed off to Jesus and he opens it up to people and they, they kneel before him and they say, Jesus is my Savior. If he's still doing those spiritual miracles, which are, quite frankly, um, number one, more important, but also number two, more impossible to take a dead heart and open it to Jesus to love him, then I think he still does physical miracles too. Because we can't separate the spiritual from the physical. That was, that's paganism. That's, that's what the pagans believe. They separate those two. Biblical Christians, they go together. God is still doing in the business of miracles. 
miracles follow. As a church, they should follow. I, I, and and all, it, it's all meant to bring people into the kingdom. God is still doing crazy things. That's the point. I, I heard a story the other day from a pastor. This wasn't online. This wasn't something. This was a pastor I was meeting with. It was in a group of pastors. And he was sharing the, about a guy who didn't know Jesus. And he had a friend who had been telling him about Jesus, but that friend died. And this, this guy didn't know Jesus. He's in his van one night. For some reason, he sees a dog. I didn't quite get the details of this part of the story, but he sees a dog, and I think the dog had a pizza in his mouth. For some reason, this dog reminded this guy in the van about the friend who had passed away who had been telling him about Jesus, and right then and there, he gives his life to Jesus. I didn't understand it. What does the dog have to do with the friend? I didn't really get to follow up and ask him about that. But it, all it reminded me was that God still does crazy things to get people into the kingdom. We've got stories of people in here. Evan Carter shared last week. He's got a testimony of God just showing up at the um, psych ward, doing all sorts of things to, to get him in the kingdom. And he still does that. Many of you guys have stories. We've got videos on our website. That's that's the point. God's power goes. And it's not just in, in those types of external crazy miracles, but look, he also promised in verse 19, when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So when you're put on trial or you're put on the spot and you're, you're threatened and, and you're intimidated, and you don't know what to say, or maybe you have this hate, for those people that are, you're wrestling against, he's saying, trust that I'm going to give you what to say that will represent me. I'm going to give you what to say in that moment. You don't have to have a bunch of Bible knowledge. I'll give you the words to say when your friend puts you on the spot, when your atheist friend says, well, what about this? He's going to, God's going to give you, don't try to act smart. Just say, Lord, Spirit, help me, help me. And he'll give you the words. That's his promise. We can take courage for that reason. You get arrested, you get put on trial. Oh, it's an opportunity to share the gospel message with the judge, with the jury, if things come down the pike in America for us, or if we're in another country and that type of persecution comes, he will tell us what to say. doesn't mean people are going to listen. They might kill you. But you get to be obedient and honor him in that moment. But if they kill you, if they kill you. Lastly, number seven, take courage because God cares for you. Back to verse 28 where he said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Why can we, why, why, what is, like, let, let's think about this. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Just be afraid of the one God who can kill body and soul in hell. Okay, have a big view of God. But, but then what? Well, he continues. He continues and he said this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So that God that you have a big awe of, the big reverence for, he cares for you. That's why you don't have to be afraid of those who kill your body. That's why you can say, ah, oh, big deal. That all they can do is kill me. Because he cares for you. He's got life for you. If he cares for the sparrows, how much more does he care for those who have been adopted into his family, who he now calls son or daughter because of your faith in Jesus. How much more is he looking out for you? But Pastor Chris, if they kill me, isn't that bad? Doesn't that mean he's not looking out? No. No. 
Let's end here. Let's end here. This is at the end. Let's just start in verse 38. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That's the promise. You give up your life. You hold loosely to your life. You will find true life. Hence the name of our church. In him, there's life. Life that's eternal. Life that will be unending. Life where we will reign and rule with him on a new earth. With new bodies. Resurrected bodies. So yeah, don't worry. They might kill you. But he's got life for you. True life. Better life. Better quality of life. Unending life. If you hold loosely to this life. If you hold loosely to the things of this life. If you're willing to hold loosely to your ambitions, hold loosely to your plans, hold loosely to your dreams, hold loosely to your kids, hold loosely to your money, hold loosely to your religious freedoms, hold loosely to your safety, then you'll find true freedom, true life in Him. So my final point, we need courage and Jesus gives it. We need courage Scary stuff, but Jesus gives it. He gives it, he gives it, he gives it. So I'm going to call the band down. and uh, Yeah, uh, I'm going to call the band down. Just a band. I'm just going to call prayer team, but can we stand? Let me, let me just kind of ask this question as we kind of transition here. Who needs courage today? Who needs courage today? If we can just think for a moment, I'm going to ask a question. A few questions. So, let me think here. All right, so I'm going to ask in a moment to raise your hand if any of these things are true. So, but let me just kind of walk us through something for a minute here. I'm going to assume nobody took notes and just, and just think, Lord, like, wh- what stands out to me? Where do I need courage? Let's just ask God that. Where do I need courage? Do I need courage to open my mouth about you? Am I, am I, am I too quiet? Am I too silent? Am I too cowardly? Do I separate my church life from the rest of my life? Do I need courage to open my mouth? God, do I need courage to even be willing to go reach an unreached people group for you? Pick up my life, move it, risk it. Do I need courage to stop clinging to or being afraid of the loss of religious freedoms? Am I too focused on bills and legislation that may or may not affect our religious freedoms and too little focused on the spread of your gospel do I need more courage in that arena do I need courage to hold loosely to the idea of safety and not let it get in the way of being obedient do I need courage to hold loosely to the idea of people, am I too focused on people liking me, am I too focused on what my family members are going to think if I 
point them to Jesus or talk about Jesus. Do I worry too much about people liking me? Do I worry too much about fitting in and not enough about inviting others in to the kingdom? Do I need courage? In any of those areas, if you, if, if you, if you can say yes to any of those, would you put your hand up? All right, keep your hands up, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Look around, look around, right? It, it, it's all of us, right? All of us. This area is all of us. So, Lord, you are the God who gives courage. We don't, we don't drum this up with willpower and psyching ourselves up. That's, that's pseudo-courage. That's, that's a band-aid. We need the kind of courage that your spirit gives us. We need to trust that you, it's your power and authority that you've given us to go, to proclaim the message. You're going to back us up. You're going to move hearts. You're going to do miraculous things. It's your spirit that gives us courage to risk suffering, to not be afraid of death, to not be afraid of criticism, to not be afraid of rejection, to not be afraid of discomfort, to not be afraid of moving. It's your spirit that will give us words to say when we're put on the spot. It's your spirit that empowers us to live for you, to live like you, to live in light of your future coming. We thank you that you give it. We are acknowledging we need it, and we thank you that you give it. And we repent of making any of those things, safety, religious freedoms, people liking us, an idol. In your name, amen. All right, let's just, clo let's just close out by, by singing, worshiping, praising God.